and with him. And then to see this many preachers together. And I have not seen one fist balled up or anybody fighting anyone. That's a miracle in itself. I don't know that I have ever seen this many preachers. Now, I've preached to congregations larger than this, but this many preachers. I'm, I don't know what to say. I'm just uh, flabbergasted. He told me that so many was registered to come, but I've been in a lot of meetings like that. And somebody say, now, well, we're going to have this many and we don't have this many. We don't have even nearly what he said was going to be there. But I'm amazed, astounded, and blessed to be in your midst and to hear a young man talk about old-time religion. And not only that, but to realize that he really means it. And he knows what it is. So I, I'm just, uh, I feel so blessed to be here. And I want to say one other thing, then we'll announce our text. Years ago, I was in a meeting, and Brother Robbie Smith, I just talked to his pastor, and he is in Brazil for a couple of months, and a great missionary, and I've known him. Even I, I remember when he surrendered to go to the mission field, and I was in that meeting. And so um, he was somewhere in a preacher in a camp meeting, I believe, and some men had preached before him. And Brother Smith got up and he looked out over the congregation and he said, I feel like a cricket after a thunderstorm. And that's about the way I feel. But anyway, I appreciate Dr. Bryant. My first remembrance of him is at Valdosta, Georgia in the Victory Baptist camp meeting. Dr. Ward introduced him, said, I'm going to have Dr. Bryant come, and said he is a preacher's preacher. And I have found that to be true. And he's my friend, and I, he always blesses me with a word. When I pastored every year, he came and preached a revival. I called it our thawing out revival. It was in the month of January, and he always thawed us out, so he, he helped us, and I appreciate him so much. So you may be seated, and it's good to see many of you whom I know, some of you I do not know, but I want to get to know you. Let's open our scriptures, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, if you will. The book of Hebrews, chapter 4. So I want to read just a couple of verses and deal with that and what uh, environs these verses. That is verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And reading over these verses today, I caught this thought. Have you ever noticed the kinship of God with his word? Because what the word is doing here in verse 12, God is doing in verse 13. There's nothing hidden. So many people, when the preacher preaches a text, and they almost feel as if someone has told the preacher about their life. But it's the word doing what Paul wrote it would do here in verse number 12. So, if you will, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace in our life, your protection and allowing us to come. And Lord, we are so blessed to see this many preachers together, and we know that we are of like faith. Here is the hope of America. People who walk with you, who believe in you, and who preach your word. I pray that your blessings and your breath will be upon every preacher of the word of God and upon every ministry that is represented here. I pray for this dear pastor. You will give him wisdom as he leads this meeting. And may, Lord, you be glorified in all that is said and done in this place these days. We thank you now for that which you are going to continue to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Let me say that the context of these verses add much to their meaning. Now, what is going on here, the apostle is giving the uh, second of five interjected warnings, warning passages. There are many warnings in Hebrews, but warning passages. And the first one here is in chapter 2, and it has with being disinterested. All five of these warnings concern the Word of God in one way or another. I wish some of the modern version editors would realize what God thinks about people uh, playing with, adding to, and altering His Word. Now, I want to say that I read the book, Final Authority, written by Dr. William Grady. In fact, he came one night and addressed our Bible Institute. Dr. William Grady said that Queen Mary, who was so wicked, Queen of England, that better than 300 uh, stalwarts of the faith died under her reign. Then he wrote this, that she died at the age of 42 
almost insane. And he said this about that incident, that you mess with God's word and he will mess with your mind. And I do believe that. And so all of these warnings here are dealing in one way or another with the word of God. Now, the second one here uh, has to do with not being, uh, or excuse me, the first one has to do with becoming disinterested. And this matter here that of letting things slip. Now, the things are not going to slip themselves. But the problem is people let them slip by. I've thought often of the rivers of truth that flow from the pulpits of men like you. And the congregation sits and let them, much of them, pass by and slip by them. And, of course, the consequence is to be... Uh, is to be served after that. Now we come to chapter four here and we, what we, we just read, chapter three and four. It deals here with a disbelief in the word of God. And so when you become disinterested, then the next step is going to be disbelief. And then number, and the third one is found in chapter five verses 11 to the end of the chapter. And here it deals with dullness or a distance from the word of God. Then we go on over uh, into chapter 10 and it deals with being disobedient to the word of God. Then in chapter five is the fifth uh, passage and there refuse not him that speaketh from heaven and so the condition there is defiance toward the word of God. And that's where it all ends when we show a disinterest. It does not matter to me who is preaching. If he's been preaching six months, six years, or 60 years. If he is 16, 26, or 96, I'm going to be listening to what he has to say. Because I believe God has something in every preacher's message for the congregation that he is addressing. I heard recently a man quoting what a preacher had said to him. He said, this message that I have does not fit this congregation. If I felt that way, I would have done some work on it. I don't think God ever gave his men a message that did not fit that congregation. Now that congregation might not want to hear it, but that doesn't have nothing to do with the message. The problem is with those who do not want to hear it and find themselves in such a, in such a trouble. Now here what we find beginning over in chapter three, where this whole context begins, uh, and it has to do with the hardening of the heart. And so when you read this, you find all of it goes all the way through. And so now he comes down telling what the word of God is and what God knows about each and every one of us. And so what happens here, and this hardening of the heart 
is always occasioned by the failure to believe the words and the works of God. And both of them are brought out here in this passage that the author is trying to get the Hebrews whom he is somewhat concerned that they are about to turn back into Judaism from that which they've been delivered out of into Christianity. And actually, the whole book of Hebrews is an exhortation. And by the way, it was not written to people who thought they were saved or who came close to getting saved. It was written to Christians. Now, I know there's problems any way you take the book of Hebrews. But anyway, this book was written to Christians. For example... In chapter 2 and verse 3 is a great text that many people have used to the lost man. Well, let him use it if he'll get him saved. Amen. But the context of that verse has to do with Christians. Because we cannot neglect something we do not have. And so he's talking about what's going to happen to us if we neglect. And how do you neglect? Not be interested in what is being said. And letting our hearts become hardened to the things of God. And so what the apostle is doing here is reflecting upon Israel's journey uh, from Egypt to Canaan. It begins in chapter 7, comes all the way down through uh, chapter 4 and verse 8. And the warning here that he's dealing with is not, is the blood still sufficient? Will it still keep us as we have been taught that it will keep us? That isn't the warning at all. But the warning is that they're going to fail to complete their pilgrimage which Israel did as we read in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 and the awful consequence that came into their midst. What God is doing here with them and what he's doing to the Hebrews and what we get from that he's doing in our lives that God is taking them someplace, not only geographically, And that he certainly is doing. He has promised 400 years ago this land unto Abraham and his seed. And so God is bringing them. A family goes down into Egypt. It comes out a nation. And so God is directing them to Canaan land geographically. But oh, but the whole thing here that many people might miss, he's leading them somewhere spiritually. And so that is what the apostle is trying to get them to see. To me, the key verse to the whole book of Hebrews is chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. So the apostle's concern is simply this. Will the difficulties, when you come to chapter 10, 
You see all that the Hebrews had suffered and were suffering at this time, all the disappointments that they uh, had encountered, would these things distract them uh, from the availability of the grace that we read about in chapter 12? And gentlemen, I will say this unto you, the disappointments, the heartaches, the uh, rough times that we go through and troubles and trials, will that distract us from the availability of that grace that God has made for you and I? You see, the problem with Esau is he said, I'm faint and at the point of death. And I'm going to die if I don't get a bowl of that uh, pottage. And so I'll sell my birthright. He would not have died. He let his flesh override what he really needed in his heart, in his life. And he considered his birthright worthless just to fill his flesh with that which he desired. And so Paul brings that in. And so here we are. We go through hard times and difficult days. Will Is that going to distract us? Will that cause God to run short on grace? The grace was available for Esau. It is available for you and I. And I believe that there is grace for every deed. Amen. Now I know this is a whole lot easier preached than it is lived. But it is what the Bible says. Amen. And so God has made all of this possible for you and I. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We find that in chapter 13 and, and so many overwhelming truths here that Paul writes in an exhortation. Suffer, he said in the last chapter, this word of exhortation. I want you to get up and I want you to go on. Look what you've suffered already. Cast not uh, therefore away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Hang on to that and stay faithful to God. And God is going to see you through. He's going to supply your need. Now listen, the price of their redemption is the same price of mine and yours. What is that? That was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must not count that a worthless thing. We must remember Christ shed his blood that you and I might be redeemed from sin. And also he has everything, mercy and grace that we're going to need to make this journey. Amen. Remember the ship? Amen. That was in the terrible storm and Paul and was aboard and, and so the, the waves began to beat against the ship when it uh, fastened uh, in the ground and began to break the ship up. And so they all jumped off of the ship and some swam who could and others grabbed a piece of the ship. Maybe some just got a plank to help them on the way. And I sometimes I feel like that, don't you? That I'm treading water with a plank, amen. But thank God we're going to make it. 
We're, we're going to make it. And every one of them made it safely to shore. And if our faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in him, no matter what we might go through in this life, I assure you we're going to make it there. Jesus Christ has never set out to do anything that he did not finish. And everything that he finished, he finished it perfectly. And so we stand perfect in salvation tonight through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, the context of this passage, as you are aware, has to do with rest. And it's found at least 11 times in this chapter. And so he's getting them uh, to see the importance of all of this. And look at how verse 12 begins. It begins with a preposition, which is a relation word. So he's relating what we find in verses 12. And I'm thinking, now I know that neither can either be a pronoun or it can be a conjunction. I think here it's serving as a connector to what already has been shown to show the kinship of God in his word. And we have the same thing when we come to Christ and the word. I don't know if it's possible if you do help me after the meeting. Now I'm not being sarcastic, but I don't know if it's possible to separate Jesus Christ from the Word of God because He was the Word. Amen. Incarnate. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, and His name is called the Word of God. Now, whenever the beginning began, the Word already was. John chapter 1 and verse 1. So I don't know that you can separate him. Here's the way I announce it. This Bible is the written word. Jesus Christ is the living word. And the written word is all about the living word. Okay, so I'm going to stay with that until I learn better. Now, the rest here that he's talking about is not the rest of salvation because that already has been taken care of. But we're resting in the redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as these Hebrews had been converted, you and I have been converted. But the Hebrews had failed in this matter of consecration. So I had a pastor call me recently and said, what do you think that is in verse 11? Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. I said, well, number one, it cannot be the rest of salvation because we learn in the scriptures that we're not saved by works. Works play no part whatsoever in my and your salvation. So I said, I'm going to tell you what I think it is. And I said, I think it has to do with consecration. There is a rest that we can enter into, and the preacher talked about it tonight, in being consecrated unto God. And that is the rest. 
And he said, you know, preacher, that's the only thing I can make out of it. I said, well, that's the way that I see it. And so what he's saying there, and you do have to labor. You do have to labor into that consecration rest. I mean, that doesn't just happen. It just doesn't come. There's something involved uh, on my and your part to enter there. And I surely want to be that vessel that the preacher was talking about. There are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. And I want to be a vessel of honor. And I want to be sanctified and meet for the master's use. Well, the only way that can happen is I reach that place of resting in the fact that I am consecrated unto God. Not that there will never be any room for improvement. There will always be room for that. But, but there is some, may, may I say it like this? We can please God in our walk down here. Colossians chapter 1. Amen. We can walk pleasingly unto the Lord. And so uh, we're not going to be a God. Amen. We're not Mormons. We're not going to ever be God. But I'm telling you right now, we have the very life of God. Amen. Flowing in us. And that's what eternal life is all about. Okay. So let's, let's look a little further. The believer's rest is already in the Redeemer's work. We're exhorted to yield our hearts unto obedience to God's word in consecration. I want to say there's more to the Christian life than being certain. Now, I know I'm saved and I got that settled. And Brother Bryant was talking about that situation he ran into with a lady at the motel. And I've had similar situations, I'm sure you have as well. But there's more to the Christian life than just being certain, than just being sure. There's this matter of consecration. You see, not just to go to heaven. That's already settled. We're not working, we're not preaching, we're not giving, and we're not witnessing uh, in order to go to heaven. That's already settled. But listen, I think we can have an abundant, if you'll forgive my lack of wisdom in choosing words, I believe we can have an abundant entrance. I believe there are those words which he can say and will say to those deserving of it, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now I'm telling you, that would be an abundant entrance to hear those words. I heard one preacher say it like this, Pastor, and I believe he's exactly right. What is heaven going to mean if those words do not come from his lips? And you think about that a little while. Okay, and we're going to heaven. We want to enter heaven gloriously and not so as by fire. And I heard a man say to me, and I put this in one of my books, and I don't remember which one it was, but a a person said to me, I can't remember if it was a woman or a man, but they said to me, well, if I can just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, that's all that matters to me. I said, well, that's not all that matters to me. 
And I'm going to make another statement. I trust you won't think I'm judgmental. But I doubt seriously that a person with that attitude is going to heaven anyhow. I mean, if we don't want to do something for him who did everything for us, then we're lacking somewhere in this matter. And I want to say furthermore that to have crowns to cast at his feet. Amen. And in Revelation chapter 4, if you remember, the elders, which I take to be representative of the redeemed, and they take their crowns off and they cast them at his feet. I've often thought, Brother Piercy, what that's going to be like if I don't have at least one crown to cast at his feet. And then they all join in with a loud voice. Thou art worthy. Amen. See glory and honor and power. And so, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And so I want, I want to do that, not because of what I am, but because of who he is and that which he's done. You know, I've heard so many things about going to heaven and what people are going to do when they get there and, and you know, how that they, they're going to run up and, and, uh, I heard one, one song about, uh, uh, touching the nail prints in his hand. I don't believe there's prints there, but anyhow, that, that's me. All right. Uh, but you know what? I, I'm all over the place, brother. I can't have, um, but if you remember in Zechariah, he's asked a question by his, by the Jews when he appears unto them. And they say, what are these wounds? Now that's when he comes back in the Revelation. And he defeats the armies of the Antichrist. And he appears unto the Jews. Boy, I love this. In that day, a fountain shall be opened. And they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for their only son. And they're going to repent. And they're going to believe on him. Amen. And they are going to be saved. What a glorious, glorious day that is going to be. And he is all of that. And he is so much more. And so, listen, he's going to establish his kingdom upon the earth. Now, I don't know exactly how to uh, weigh this out, but I do believe that our life of service here is going to play some significant thing in our place or position of reign with Jesus Christ. I'm just going to leave it there. That's all I'm going to say. Well, that's my introduction. And so, here's what I want to talk to you about a little bit. Some features of the Word of God. Now, if I just said the features of the Word of God, uh, we would never get out of here. But some features of the Word of God. Okay? Now, I want to say that God's relationship to his people is stated, it is shown, and it is secured by his word. Amen. Now, um, 
I don't know if God has a mind or not. I don't know if you need one, if you know everything, as Dr. Bryant said, if you've been every place, amen, if you've seen everything, I don't know. But I've always looked at the scripture as the mind of God revealed unto man. A person said to me one time, well then, if you knew everything was in the Bible, you'd know all that God knows. I said, no, you wouldn't. I said, you would know all he wants you to know. But you're not going to know all he knows, any of us. But it's his mind. It's, it's his process, if I can say that, of thinking. I'm talking on a human yes. level. I, I can't get in that realm right. where he is. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, it, it's how God thinks. And so he's left that for you and he's left that for me. When I run into a problem, we can go to God and this book. I believe there is an answer to every problem any of us has in this book somewhere. Uh, it is. It's there. And just how many features to God's word is in our text, I don't have any idea. Well, let me just give you some. Number one, it is alive, it is active. And number two, one fellow said this, and don't try it, but this evangelist was preaching, and he said this Bible is alive. And he said you cut a page of it, and it will bleed. Well, there happened to be a little boy sitting there, and he went home and took the advances at his word and whacked the sheet, but it didn't bleed. Amen. No, it's not. But it is alive. Amen. Quick, it is alive. It is active. And then number two, it is sharp and it severs. Number three, it penetrates and it probes. Number four, it divides and it discerns. And number five, it examines and it exposes. Fellas, what else do we need in the pulpit beside the word of God? Amen. Why do we go out and bring in the things of the world? Amen. You know what we're going to attract? We're going to attract the world. And the, what does the world use to try to attract you? And now it uses what it has. Amen. I, we don't need anything else. We got it. We got it all right here. Amen. In this book, it'll, it will, it will do the job. Dr. John McCormick, uh, brother, uh, Bryant quoted something about him, I think. But doctor, uh, anyway, I thought of this about something he said. But Dr. John McCormick, we had him at our church for Bible conference at least three years. And so he told this story. He said the school that he taught in and attended had invited this preacher who had graduated from that school and he was a part of the alumni. And so he came, he was invited back to preach in chapel. And of course, the chapel, this was back in the days when 
They had what four or five thousand students uh, at uh, at the school. About said it, but at the school, and so uh, everybody's grinning. You probably already know who it is, but anyhow. But anyway, he said this. Said that preacher got up, and he said, "Fellas, I've learned one thing." Now this was back in. Dr. McCormick's days. This was before he ever came to our church. And he said, that preacher said, I've learned this, fellows. Preaching alone will not get the job done. If I'd been the chancellor of that school, that man would have sat down. That was a good, strong, fundamental school. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If preaching doesn't get it done, it won't get done. God chose preaching. Amen. This is God's business. It's not the Baptist business. It's not man's business. It is God's business. And I'm going to tell you something. This is all we need to give forth the truth. I want to say something else about this Bible. This Bible does not need any sharpening. So we don't have to hone on it. Amen. It'll do everything. Amen. In, in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, so shall my word be that go forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That's what God said. And if I can't trust that, how can I trust how to be saved according to the scripture? This Bible will do it if it's going to get done. And I'm not interested in anything when God called me to preach. And I was confident, I know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, the Lord called me to preach. I remember the experiences and all that we had, but I knew, preacher, I cannot trust an experience. I cannot. I had an experience I've only told two or three times. I, I would not tell it. Because somebody else may, well, nothing like that happened to me. And, and, but it did happen to me, but I'm not going to tell it. But I'm going to tell you, when, when I knew, I knew beyond any shadow of doubt, I was supposed to preach. I knew that. And what happened? Well, let me just, can I just tell it? Okay. I've done messed up everything anyhow, so I just might as well go ahead and tell it. I went to a church when I was an electrical estimator with Mamba Engineering Company. And so I, I was at the church. I was a church clerk. I was a song leader. I was a Sunday school teacher. And so um, I supported my pastor. Most time I was the only one there to go on visitation with him. And uh, so if he had a work day, I never missed a one. I, I was faithful. And I was happy. I had a good job. I had financial security. I could have gone anywhere with how God had helped me in that work, uh, that need electrical estimator, and I could have got a job. I mean, the Lord was so good to me to teach me. And I was sitting there, and Brother Leonard Ferguson was my pastor. And he got up that morning, and he preached on as an eagle fluttereth over her young. 
and stirreth her nest. And he started talking about getting all that comfort out. So those little eaglets didn't like sitting in a sticky bed. And it was difficult. And he began to build that thing. And God began to deal with my heart sitting right there. And so anyway, I, I went on. And so I, I prayed and prayed and prayed for six months. I prayed and sought God. God did a lot of things I asked him to do. But anyhow, uh, I told him one day, I, you know, I just wanted to be sure because a man in our church had already uh, announced his call to preach and he hadn't done anything. And I thought, Lord, I, I'm not going to get up and tell somebody that you've called me to preach if I do not know it. You're going to have to make me know it. Now, I don't know what I'm waiting on. Any of you fellas do that? Our preacher preached you wasn't supposed to put a fleece out. And I've heard other preachers say I did, so I don't, I don't know. But anyway, I didn't know what to do. I just, I just wanted to know. I said, Lord, I will if that's what you want. But I've got to know you want it. Well, there's a whole lot to this story. But anyway, I remember coming down US 1. I'd been to Jacksonville to look at a pole line job. I was coming down there and, and I was praying and nothing was going on. Man, it was still. It, nothing was going on. And I said, I said, well, Lord... If this is the way it is, I, I just guess that was a fascination with me and you're not calling me. So I just will, I'll not talk to you anymore about this. I'll not make mention of it. I remember that. I'll not make mention of this again. Well, I got to church that Sunday night. I felt good. I felt the burden's gone. I feel good. And the pastor got me and said, open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20. And guess what his first was? Nine. I'll not make mention of it anymore. And boy, God tore me up. I just thought the burden was gone. And anyway, but, how, but anyhow, I'm telling you, and here's what I told the Lord. I said, Lord, I said, I'm not going to ever... Did you ever ask God, tell God you wasn't going to ask him for something you wish you hadn't? I said, Lord, I'll never ask to preach to a big congregation. I'll never ask for anybody to say that was a good message. I'll never ask for anything. But one thing I want, help me to tell them what you said. That meant more to me, Pastor, than anything. And in fact, that's, that resulted in that book I wrote on the Word of God. Because I was going to school at the time. It wasn't the professors. We had tremendous professors. But it was the required reading you have to do. And so I was, I was in the church one Sunday morning and, you know, you can preach and you can 
flop. And then you can just, it goes beyond the flop. I don't know what you call that. But that's what happened to me that morning. And I told my wife, I said, we just lived a couple of miles from the church. I said, you and the kids go on home. I said, I'm going to walk. Boy, I was just broken. I came to church just knowing what God was going to do with that message. And I just stumped like I've done tonight, just stumbled all over the place. And I felt so awful. And I said, God, last night I went over in the woods behind the house and I prayed and sought you till you told me what I was supposed to preach. You ever, you know, we have to keep God up to date <laughs> on what's going on in our prayers. And so I said, uh, God, you know, I, and, and you know, when you gave that to me, I went home and I studied up late at night. I was up early in the morning and I studied. And Lord, I know I had the message and you remember, I told you that all I ever wanted to do was tell the people exactly what you said. And Pastor, it's as real as if you'd said it to me. Dr. Sotler was preaching and he he said, the Lord said to me, woman came up to him after church and said, Dr. Sotler, did the Lord speak in an audible voice to you? He said, oh, ma'am, it was louder than that. So you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you just know, you just know. And so it was as real as if this pastor had come up to me and said it. If you want to tell my people what I said, leave my word alone. I was reading about the V should be an A. And a better understanding here is this. And this is a more proper. This is what I was reading in my required reading. And so I set out to find out, can I trust all that's in here? Can I preach this just as it is? I stayed late at school when we had day classes. I arrived early when we had night classes. I used a library and studied and studied till I found out this is the Word of God. It's, it does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. A preacher back up in the hills of Tennessee was preaching in a big way. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, he said, I believe this Bible from kiver to kiver. And I believe what's on the kiver, the Holy Bible. Amen. 